Hello, welcome back to the Pulpit of View podcast, and this week's Adult Bible Study is we kick off a brand new study in the epistles of 1 John. And I really enjoyed it with my class this week, and I'm hearing from some of the other teachers. Actually, it's fun. My dad's teaching one class, my brother's teaching a class, and uh, so that's kind of neat. But we this week, we, we dove deep into why did John write this book? Over 2,000 years ago, he wrote this book. Why did he write it? What was the need of the churches when he wrote it? And that's what the heartbeat behind what I was trying to get after today. Because I think if we understand the why, and then why did God put it in the scripture for? And we're going to see that there's applications for us today. And this book is full of them. So this is an introductory type of lesson, but I think it was a lesson that is sets the framework for where we're going. And so without further ado, here is the very first lesson in our brand new series on the epistles of John. I want to take over the next several weeks in 1 John and I want us to, uh, the first week here especially, dive into why we have this book and who wrote it. And I'm gonna. I was not gonna to get to the verses until towards the end, but I'm gonna actually start there and then ask you a couple of questions about your thoughts on how this book starts. So you guys have studied the Bible some, or you, you've been to classes where they've taught through a, a book of the Bible. And so when I read these first four verses, which is all we're gonna eventually get to today after a lot of introductory stuff, and I gave you notes today because we're gonna deal with some words that you're gonna be like, what, what is that? And I didn't want to be up here talking. And you not have something to at least stare at and try to see and filter through what I'm saying. So, but listen to these first four verses and then tell me what kind of sticks out to you. I'm not looking for doctrine like, I love how it's the Trinity. No, no, no. Okay. We're not going that deep here yet. Okay. But listen to these first four verses and maybe we'll get some feedback here. It says, here's how it starts. The whole book right here. They, they receive it. The church is probably in the area of Ephesus receive this. And here's how it starts. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word, capital W, of life. For the life was manifested. We have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Now just, I, I realize that you could, the word of life is an interesting phrase. We're going to get there and there's some interesting phrases. But just how this book starts, does anything stand out to you? It's like he's trying to form a bond with, okay. you know, under the, the fatherhead and the sonship of, of what they have been taught. Yeah, okay. And that word fellowship kind of leads to that a little bit as well. They keep saying that they've seen him and talked to him. Right. And yeah, and we're going to explain that here in a little bit. Why does he, why is he, I mean, just in the beginning of the book, if I just wrote Aaron a letter and I said, Hey, we've seen him. We've touched him. We've handled him. He's going to be like, who's him? You know, but, but they obviously have an understanding. But, um, but that's one of the things we're going to talk about. Yes. 
I was just thinking they've always prayed to a God they never saw. And, you know, I mean, they probably saw things he did, like the pillar of light and all that. Mm -hmm. But to actually see God in the flesh. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting, I'm going to get to this in the opening. The ones that, that John, I'm going to show you who I think John is in a minute, is writing to hadn't seen Jesus in the flesh. Now, this is, what's this is one of the neat things about this book. We're talking, John is writing to second and third generation Christians. The, in the sense that by, by generation, I'm not talking about like in 100 AD, that's written about 86 AD. Or, yeah, AD is the right one I was using, or BC, sorry. BC. But, it, but it's written to... Ones that ha were not on the earth. Jesus has already ascended. They have not seen Jesus, but John has. So that gives a little insight of where we're going. But let me ask you this. Let me word it set up this way. How does Paul usually start his letters? Do you remember? You remember he'll say, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ and Timotheus. And, and he always just starts his letters by saying, hey, I'm Paul. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm with Timothy here. He calls him Timotheus. And I'm writing to you for this reason here. John doesn't do that. He just says, that which was from the beginning. He just starts right out of the gate. So his readership understood who he was. We do believe it to be John. And I think as we even get into this and as I compare it, it's the Apostle John. He is one of the 12 disciples. And if you compare the words, and I understand I've been four weeks of studying this text and studying this epistle. And you guys are just here for five minutes and you're in it. But you're going to see a lot of words like abide. Does anybody know the reference where we see the abiding in the vine? That is John chapter 15 in the gospel. We're going to see the word joy come up. We see joy in John chapter number 15. We're going to see the word life emphasized over and over again. Well, we see the word life emphasized in the Gospel of John. The language is very similar to the Apostle John, the Disciple John, and this John right here. Now, John, the author of this, I said he was one of the original disciples. He was the sole surviving member of the Twelve at the point of this writing. It's one of the last books written, and he's the only one left. Now, I just let that sink in emotionally for a second with you. You know, if you're John, you've been with Peter. You've been with Peter as he preached. I think he was with Peter in chapter 3 at the, the, the healing of the lame man at the gate. Beautiful. They went up in the sixth hour to pray, and then all of a sudden, this lame man's there, and Peter healed him. I mean, you've seen this. You've leaned upon the bosom of Jesus. I mean, all of this that you've seen, but you're the last one. And not only are you the last one, but how did Peter die? Anybody know? Crucified upside down. Some of the disciples were dragged on the backside of horses or camels and killed. Some were stoned to death. Others were crucified. You've watched those that you gave up everything, that you've loved, and you've watched them die. And you're the only one left. And now you've got churches in Ephesus that he's been ministering to, that he's been writing to. We know that because... John wrote, and I'm going to get to my notes in a second that I gave you, but John wrote the book of Revelation. He wrote 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, and he wrote the Gospel of John. So he wrote five books. When he wrote the book of Revelation, he was on the Isle of Patmos, and he wrote to seven churches. If you read the, if you read the beginning of Revelation, he wrote to seven churches, did he not? 
You can go to the church of Laodicea. That's the church that made God want to puke, he said. Jesus said, you just made me want to throw up. The church of Ephesus, Sardis, all these different churches. And so John had a, a group of churches that he was ministering to, that he cared for. But here he is. He's the last disciple. He's the last apostle. And you've got these, this next generation coming up of Christians that had not seen Jesus. They hadn't touched Jesus. They hadn't leaned upon his bosom. They hadn't heard his, his parables. And now, so here he is, and he's trying to teach them. I'm, I'm going to get ahead of myself. I just want to get to some stuff. So... But let me, I've talked about, he's, he's, he's written the five books. Look at this little chart that I put in your notes here. It's, it, it's kind of interesting how John, I see his pastor's heart here as he writes this, because in the gospel of John, he really emphasized salvation. And think about it. What is one of the most famous verses ever? John 3.16. For God's love of the world. We know that one. It, 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 the whole book of John, the whole gospel of John emphasizes eternal life. That Jesus is the Son of God who came and he died for our sins. And so he deals with salvation. But in the epistles that we're going to study over the next 10 weeks, he's dealing with sanctification. I realize sanctification may be a familiar word for some and maybe not as a familiar word for others. So sanctification, salvation, we would call, you'd hear the term justification. Justification is salvation, synonymous. It's when I am declared righteous, not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done sanctification is after you are saved after you're justified sanctification is that process by which i'm growing in my faith i'm becoming more like jesus christ the old me is being hopefully scrubbed out and i'm becoming more and more like jesus christ that's called sanctification for me it started when i was 12 and it's continuing right now at 40. then one day when i get to heaven what's that called glorification no more sin no more battle no more war i don't have to deal with this anymore i'm in heaven and i'm free from the from not only the penalty not only the, the power but now the very presence of sin it's not in my life anymore so the epistles as we're going to be studying are dealing with sanctification this time period in which we're living right now but when he wrote the book of revelation that dealt with glorification and a lot of talking about the future the Gospel of John dealt with past history. The epistles we're going to study are dealing with present experience as Christians. And Revelation was talking about a future hope. When he wrote the Gospel of John, he was talking about Christ died for us. When, he write, when we talk about these epistles over the next 10 weeks, he's going to say Christ lives in us. In the book of Revelation, he's saying Christ is coming for us. When he wrote the Gospel of John, he talked about how the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, John 1.14. When he's talking about the epistles, he's saying the word was made real for us, and we have fellowship with the word. In Revelation, he's saying the word's going to conquer. He's coming to conquer. The Gospel of John was very evangelistic. The epistles are very pragmatic. In the Gospel, or excuse me, the Revelation of John was very prophetic. And if you've ever studied it, you know that to be true. And so John was well-rounded as an author. If you think about it, he was well-rounded in his study. He's he's deal, he's dealt with a lot of issues. But why is John writing this book? And that, that is important. And I, I understand, I've had several conversations this week, some with teenagers, some with others, that are like, man, I just don't understand the Bible. I just don't understand it, and it doesn't make sense to me. And, and I get that. And I, that's probably the number one question that I get. And I, and I think there's more that can be done to help with that. But that's not my time right now. But it is important to know, why is this book? 
So why 1 John? If I just picked up today and just started reading verse 1 and just started to, to get into it, if you don't know the context, it, it, it's not real then at that point. It doesn't grip you and make sense. Oh, oh, this is why he wrote that. And so let's look at some things of why did John write this book. And I would say first it's because of the condition of the church at this time. The condition of this church was was getting ready to go through some trouble. As I've already mentioned, the church was now composed of second and third generation Christians. These people had not handled or heard Jesus. So this is, you already have a level of, they have to believe by faith, do they not? Not saying that John didn't have to believe by faith, but it did seem to help that, hey, here's Jesus. I'm watching him do the miracles. It's still faith and still some rejected, but now, you have the second and third generation Christians. And some of these Christians were facing persecution. So that adds to the, the discouragement. For others, the thrill was just gone. You ever, under, you ever had that? The flame of devotion I put in our notes to Christ was, was flickering. I'm, I'm bad about, like, start on, maybe I'll start on a diet. You guys realize that the start, there's no finish. You can see that right now. But... But I'll start on a diet, and I mean, I am gung-ho, and I'm excited, and I'll get out. When the weather starts to change like this, I'm like, I'm running, I'm back. Once, I played basketball, so now I feel like, all right, I'm going to start getting back in shape. Here we go. And then all of a sudden, that starts to dim a little bit. And then all of a sudden, that excitement and that devotion changes as the smell of like chocolate chip cookies comes by or as uh, the opportunity to just sit down and watch basketball or something instead of go play basketball comes up and all of a sudden I don't have that devotion anymore. Well, that doesn't happen to us only on physical things, but spiritually it happens. We, get, we come to church, we have a revival meeting last week and we're like, wow, that message on this was so amazing. It impacted my life. I just, I, I'm so excited. I am going to be, I'm going to grow and I want to walk in fellowship with God and all of a sudden to we go back to work and there's the same old grumpy co-workers and there's the same old situations. And like I had a lady yesterday, two days ago threaten me, I'm going to pull my accounts. And then I'm like, well, okay. And then yesterday came in and she said, call Brad because I was in a different office and tell him I'm pulling my accounts. And all of a sudden, Brad that had seen revival this week wanted to go to Brad that's really sarcastic and smart aleck. <laughs> And I wanted to get on the phone with the lady and say, I don't care. Like, I don't care. Guess what? Tomorrow somebody's going to come in and open an account, so we don't care. But I can't say that because I'll get fired, and it's sinful, and it's wrong. But it would have felt good in my flesh, but I couldn't do it. So all of a sudden, I'm on a high from revival meetings, and then, uh, you know, all of a sudden, a customer's a little bit upset. I'm just ready to roll up the sleeves and get smart aleck Brad, which I've got a doctorate in that. And so... But that's what was happening here. The, the thrill of the, the early church, the thrill of, of growing and the booming of the church and everything was, was, was fading for some because of the persecution. And this next generation was coming up. So some Christians were becoming pretty lax with their Christian standards. When I say Christian standards, I'm not talking about wearing a tie and all that. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying the, the, the love and the, the things that they set in place in their lives to allow them to flourish and to grow, now they're just like, eh, I don't really care. Sin's not that bad. All of a sudden, because it's going to be in this book, as an introduction, I think I can say, it. it's going to be in this book, remember we see where John has to write and say, hey, love not the world, 
neither the things that are in the world. Why does he have to write that to them? Because they had grown kind of lax. Whereas once they had a passion for Jesus, now they're like, oh, that sin's actually pretty good, pretty fun. And they wanted to go back towards that. So he's, got to, he's going to be coming at them saying, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so they were becoming lax. So that's one of the reasons why is the conditions of the church. But, but there, then there's four purposes here. The first one was to combat some false teachers that I'm going to deal with in a little bit who were now beginning to infiltrate the churches. You see, back then, it seems like it happened more then, in my opinion. Maybe not. Maybe it's just a different way now with all the media. But like these, these people that believed differently, doctrinally, would just come into the churches, to the services, and they would begin to try to really uh, evangelize people with their doctrine. Today, if someone came in here and started to teach, hey, guess what, guys? Jesus isn't really God. You know what? The security team would grab them and say, get out of here, probably. If they were trying to evangelize that. You know, realize if they came in and were just listening and under the commission. But you don't see that happen today. But back in this time, they would come into these little home churches and begin to teach their doctrine. And it got people upset and confused. And, and so John, with that pastor's heart, is going to have to combat some of these false teachers that I'm going to get to in a second because it leads to why he started the book this way. And then he's going to deal with some attitudes towards sin, which I'm going to talk about. The necessity of love for others, which you're going to see play out. Because he's going to say several times, hey, haven't you heard from the beginning that Jesus said, love one another? Because you remember back in John 13, when Jesus was on his feet, or on his knees, what was he doing? Washing the feet of the disciples. At the very end of that passage, he said to John and to Peter and the rest of them, he said to Wash one another's feet. And he says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have what? Love one for another. And guess what this book emphasizes? There's going to be some chapters where he's saying, Hey, guys, just love others. Love your brethren. Quit all the fighting. Quit the hatred. Love. He heard that from the feet of Jesus. Or with Jesus at his feet. So he's going to deal with that. He's going to deal with sin. He's writing this to strengthen Christians in their faith and for them to have genuine fellowship among the believers. And you see the word fellowship already come up, and I'll get to it here in a minute. But then the, the last one, it was very clear. Verse 4, he says, These things we write unto you that your joy might be full. We have a second and third generation Christians that no longer had the joy. After one of the revival meetings this week, one of the teen, one of the teenagers came back in the invitation and wanted to talk to me. And as he said in, in the office, he said this to me. He said, I have no joy. Well, I had been studying this for weeks. And so I said to him, do you know where the, what the source of joy is? And a lot of times, teenagers, even adults, we think joy comes from a lack of conflict, a lack of drama, a lack of stress. If my life is no stress, then I have joy. But when it's stress, I don't have joy. That's not Christian joy. That's just happiness. Oh, happiness is based on, you know, based on if everything's going good, I'm happy. If it's not, then I'm mad. No. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit comes from the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. That is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so I said to this young man, I said to Joy, you're searching for joy. What I'm asking you, right, what I want to ask you is, do you know, even know Jesus? Because I could tell you some, here's seven tips, do some self-help things. Here's seven things to have better happiness in your life. But if you don't have joy, if you don't have Christ, you're never going to have it. 
So I asked him if he knew Jesus Christ. I said, tell me about when you accepted Christ as your Savior. And he kind of went around like this. And I was like trying to pin him down. Like, where's the points here? You know, where, where are we going? Fine, right here. Tell me when you accepted Christ as your Savior. And ultimately what we got to is he said, I haven't. And so in that office there, he prayed and trusted Christ. Now, I said, so then I think the next day, you got to all be, well, I don't have joy now. Okay, well, you have Christ in you, but you're a newborn babe. you got to grow. you got to work, at the, and you got to allow Christ to work in your life. So he's going to deal with joy. I, gotta, I can't get sidetracked in every one of my points here. But, so, but now here's where I have, to, I have to get here, and I really want to get here. You're going to hear about this throughout your church life. Anytime you're in church, you're going to hear the word Gnosticism. But what was this false teaching that he was dealing with? And he was dealing with Gnosticism. The word Gnosticism means knowledge. So these Gnostics were coming into the church, and they didn't have a sign that said, Hi, I'm a Gnostic, okay? They, they didn't have these, it wasn't as obvious, they just looked like you and I. But they had a belief system that was opposed to what John had learned from Jesus. So what was their belief system? Well, it was a combination of pagan mysticism and Greek philosophy. They taught that the way of salvation was through a secret superior knowledge. You had to have the secret superior, not through the atonement of Jesus, but you had to have the secret superior knowledge. Now, we'll break it down into why here in a minute. But they considered, and this is a big point for them, and this is why we get to these first four verses. They considered all matter to be evil. So this would be evil, we would be evil. They would say your spirit's good, but all matters bad. So that means the physical body's evil, but the soul is good. Now that belief led to two different things, and I want to get to. One, and you, you're going to see this. Now, this is more foundational than just, all right, we're learning this for First John. You're going to need this for Galatians. You're going to need this for the book of Colossians. This is just a foundational principle to know when you're studying the Bible in life. So this belief of Gnosticism that the body matter is sinful, the soul is good, led to two extremes in Gnosticism. The first extreme was asceticism. Asceticism was, in a sense, punishing your body for being evil. It's severe discipline to avoid all forms of indulgence. I think this is running marathons. It's, a, it's the same thing, all right? No offense. <laughs> But a running marathon to me is a synthesis. I'm just kidding. It's not. But it's, it's extreme things that they would do. We would see this in, in Buddhists. What do they do? They go off in total silence. They won't do anything. They, I mean, it's extreme in a sense. We'd see it in modern-day Buddhism. And some of the Eastern religions are the same way. But it's severe discipline to your body. Some would beat themselves. Take maybe even that cat of nine tails or things like that and beat themselves because my body is so sinful and it's so frustrating. So they felt like the, the beating of their flesh to show would show, and the more scars that they have would show that I am against this wicked, sinful body, but my soul is good. But the one we hear more about in the Bible is licentiousness, if I'm saying it right. Licentiousness is live however you want. It's kind of more of our day to day. Hey, live however you want. The body's evil, sure, but the spirit is good, so it doesn't matter what you do. There's no rules. The spirit's good. That body's already bad, so let it do whatever it just wants to do. And that's called licentiousness. And the, the a lot of the old, a lot of the authors of the scripture would deal with this because they were they were just wanting to go do whatever they want. And so that's why we would see the church of Corinth, the church of Corinth, 
that was having all kinds of fornication and all kinds of things, sinful things going on in their church in the spirit of licentiousism, if I'm saying it right. I'm just throwing it out there like it sound, trying to sound confident. But it was in the spirit of that. And so a lot of the Bible authors were attacking this and saying, no, you do need discipline. Paul wrote about that in the book of Corinthians. You do the, the spirit of temperance in your life. It's a fruit of the spirit. But what you don't, you don't want to go to the extreme of beating your body into shame. But we need the spirit's control. So there's, we're, those were two extremes in that. And then that Gnosticism, see how I'm breaking? That's why I had to give it to you. Because that Gnosticism led to two forms of doctrinal error. One's called the Docetic Gnostics. They were the Docetic Gnostics. They taught that, oh, hey, the body's evil. And, and then God, who's a spirit, he can't have contact with the body. So, so think about this. I'm gonna, I need to just read it slowly because I want you to really get this. So they said the body's evil. So if God wanted to send his son to this earth, he couldn't send his son into a human body because the body is sinful. So they denied the humanity of Jesus Christ. And I'll show you how they did a workaround here in a second. So they denied his incarnation. They denied that he had a literal physical body. So they believed that when people were seeing Jesus, they were really seeing a ghost. That's one of the reasons why when John opens his book, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked upon, and which our hands have handled. I have never handled a ghost before. I don't think so. I mean, I, far as I know, I don't think I've ever even seen one, but and nothing, nothing like that. But John was attacking this doctrine that had gotten into these churches at Ephesus by saying, hey, no, I have handled Jesus, laid upon his bosom. I, I, he, he wasn't a ghost. He wasn't fake. And so these second generation Christians were wondering this. But then you had the Serinthian Gnostics. Serinthus lived during the same time as John right here, and he taught that because Matter is evil. The body is evil. The spirit is good. So he taught that Jesus did have a real human body, but that he was not God in human flesh. So he doesn't believe in the virgin birth. That Joseph, he believed that Joseph was a biological father. Mary wasn't a virgin. But then at Jesus' baptism, remember that whole scene when the dove comes down? They believed that at that time, that is when the spirit of God came upon Jesus, this man, and he all of a sudden became the Messiah at that point. And then right before the cross, because they didn't want the spirit to be part of suffering, the spirit left at that point when he said, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? And so then Jesus was just, the Messiah was just a spirit, not an actual person. So they deny the virgin birth. They, they deny the substitutionary atonement because the spirit wasn't there for that. There's a lot of problems that if we wanted to go even deeper than we are now, a lot of things begin to break down in what we believe today, if this is true. Now, today we say, well, I mean, that's not us, so why, why study this? Well, you ever met a Jehovah's Witness before? They believe some similar things. They do not believe that Jesus is God. They believe that he is a created being. So... So I'm not saying you don't go up to the next Jehovah's Witness and say, hey, are you a Serinthian Gnostic? They're going to be like, who are What are you talking about? Right, don't call them a Docetic Gnostic. They're not going to have a clue what you're talking about. But I'm telling you, the teachings of those days have filtered down through thousands of years, and they do play somewhat of a part. 
And they do play a part of why we're studying or why John wrote this book. And if we are going to study a book that's been inspired and given in, in the scriptures, then we need to know why it's here. And one of the reasons why it's here is there was some false teaching creeping in. And one of them was dealing with the substitutionary atonement. And do you know recently I have seen online, even from a kid that used to be in my youth group, denying the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. He said under my class absolute troubled kid the whole time <laughs> but now he's got a popular podcast and he's denying the substitutionary atonement of jesus christ and i'm studying this i'm looking at this he likes to debate i could get online and do it i'm not going to i could call him and do it i'm not going to but i'm telling you this stuff happens today so now with that backdrop, I'm not teaching anymore, but I just want to go over these first four verses real quick and then we'll get because there's some good text in here. But I wanted you guys to get the, the rich background. But then let's notice this, and I have to be I have to be quick, though I don't want to be. It says, that which was from the beginning. So he's talking about Jesus. He doesn't open up with his name. He says, that which was from the beginning. If I could take you to 1 John 2, verse 7 and 24, he's actually giving some other, he says, from the beginning. He says, from the beginning, you've heard, thou shalt love one another. So I actually don't believe he's using the same reference. Do you remember in John 1, 1, when he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God? In that phrase, he says, in the beginning. Now he says, from the beginning. I think in John 1, he's obviously talking about Jesus being eternal. I actually think personally right here, he, he's talking about from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, implied is that Jesus is eternal. But, he's just, but he uses it five other times in this text, maybe eight other times in this, in this book. And he's just saying, from the beginning, you've heard. Well, you've heard the teaching of Jesus. But either way, he's implying that Jesus is who he's talking about here. He says, which we have seen. Excuse me, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which our hands have handled. The Word, remember the capital W Word? That's what we saw in John 1. That's why we see some similarities. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. So the Word of life. Someone asked me in our study, one of the Sunday school teachers said, why did he change it to life here? Why did he put the word life? Well, this little, if you read Paul, Paul loved the word faith. If you read James's writings, James loved the word works. If you read Peter, Peter loved the word hope. You read John, John loves the word life. The Gospel of John, eternal life. We're going to see the word life here all the time. He's talking about eternal life. Jesus brings eternal life, but Jesus also brings a quality of life. But then he says, he talks about this fellowship. He says, hey, we want you guys, this second and third generation Christians, I want you to have fellowship with me. Fellowship means in communion. It doesn't mean a after church function where we eat food. It means I want to have in communion, I want to have in partnership, we are one. He says, I want you guys to be in communion, partnership with what I know about Jesus. But then he says, more than that, I want you to have that with the Father and with Jesus himself. And when you have that fellowship, that's when he says, your joy will be full. So, today, understandably, I just went little bit deep to why are we doing this book but ultimately here's what i pray in 10 weeks you're going to get out of this you're going to be so in love with jesus that your joy tank is full not because it's a roller coaster of emotions but you say i now know that jesus is not only my savior but he lives in me and he loves me and my tank is full and that's why john wrote it he wanted these christians to be full of joy 
because of fellowship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray.